It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A decent interest rate on a cash ISA and no long transfer delays. We tell you where you don't have to queue. A crunch month for house prices. We tell you the not-so-bad news. And new smartphone apps that can help you plan your pensions and investments. We tell you if they are of use to the least technologically savvy among you. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hi. And our special studio guest, Ed Mead, from the London-based estate agency, Douglas & Gordon. Hello there. So let's start with the money news. Hard-pressed savers have had some long-awaited good news as Halifax has announced a much better rate on its easy-access cash ISAs and a better deal for customers when transferring their cash ISAs. From now on, Halifax's cash ISA direct reward will pay a market-leading 2.8% for 12 months, which increases to 3% for customers who hold their main current account with Halifax. What's more, customers will earn this interest rate from the day their completed application is received, and they are guaranteed to get the rate they applied for during the transfer process. Steve, after lots of complaints and problems with ISA transfers, um, this sounds like a long-awaited improvement to the process. Yes, Matthew, it, it, it certainly should be. I mean, it's um, it's highly unusual to pay interest from the day the application is received because, of course, they haven't had the funds yet, uh, which could take anything up to weeks beyond that. So in, in theory, people could end up earning interest from both their old provider and from Halifax if they're switching to, to Halifax. Um, but it also addresses another issue as well that uh, in the tra- I mean we, we've heard lots of complaints about how long transfers can take and the OFT did some the Office of Fair Trading did some research earlier this year which found a quarter took more than 30 working days despite a current limit of 23 working days um, but in addition to that there can be an interest gap where you lose interest of up to five days in the middle and that's because as we know when we transfer money one bank likes to stop paying interest before the other one likes to pay it because they want to clear the funds and so on. So it does address that point as well. So in effect, people are getting a sort of marginal increase in um, their interest and um, and also hopefully getting speedier transfers. Now, the sort of cynic in me asked the question, why, why is Halifax doing this? Um, no one else, as far as I can tell, is offering this kind of deal. The, no one, as far as we're aware, is offering anything quite so attractive. I mean, of course, it is pretty marginal. Um, you know, say they pay another three extra days, that's equivalent to another 0.01 of a percent 
on top of whatever rate they're paying, i.e. not very much for that particular year. Um, they're attempting to steal a march on changes that the OFT, the uh, the, the com- competition watchdog, is bringing in from the end of this year. The, the, the OFT has agreed with the industry that transfers in future from the end of this year should only take 15 working days no longer no longer than that and that lost interest period should be no more than two days and frankly the RFT would like to see brought down to there being no gap at all well we'll see because you know um, that doesn't happen with other savings accounts for example but it's also sort of put a marker drawn a line in the sand as well that um, if the industry doesn't buck up its ideas and, and it does seem to there does seem to be some pretty appalling admin on ICE transfers which I, I imagine many listeners themselves will have experienced then it's said that the FSA should look at this issue from a more regulatory point of view and possibly looking at fining people or forcing changes you know maybe next year and until um, these guidelines come into force what are your sort of top tips for transferring your ISA money well I mean obviously if you can be bothered dare I say it to transfer I mean much of the problem here is that people can't be bothered to transfer um, they think all rates are the same all rates are low I mean th- there is a big difference between the worst rates which can be as low as 0.1% and the best rates which for instant access can be about three and up to about four and a half for fixed rates um, but if you if people want to sort of fast track option they should also they should definitely consider transferring internally if you like so if you're with the Halifax the Halifax you mentioned a deal there 2.8 percent um, that's the best buy um, accepts all transfers three percent if you've got a current account the Halifax also has as many as a million savers ISA savers the Halifax being the biggest ISA provider that are earning 0.5 or less at the moment now strangely enough it's not going around knocking on everyone's doors saying we'll trans- we must transfer you in or indeed automatically transferring them in so you do need to do something yourself you do need to be a bit proactive but all those people could instantly increase their rates by more than two percentage points with no um, no effect on the access they had on their money because the money will be still instant access. So, so people should look at that similarly with Santander, similarly with Nationwide. All the big players typically allow um, transfers into, if you like, their shiny new products at the front of the shop window. Yep, no hassle, no transfer delay. It sounds like uh, the way to go. Steve, thanks very much indeed for that. And uh, the details of those uh, Halifax cash ISA rates and indeed uh, the best rates from other banks and building societies, look out for Steve's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, pension planning. There's an app for that. But do you really want to plan your retirement on a mobile phone? First, though, the housing market. A couple of months ago, an FT journalist wrote that September will be crunch time for the housing market, as property analysts would be looking to post-summer activity to determine whether the recent slowdown was temporary or the start of a second downturn. That FT journalist was our very own Tanya Poli, so she has been poring over this week's data from Nationwide Building Society, the Bank of England and the Land Registry with great interest. So, Tanya, I guess the the question is, um, has it come to the crunch? Well, I've been speaking to quite a lot of agents um, this week, and the general feedback has been that, I mean, they're slightly more optimistic, or perhaps I should say slightly less bearish. I mean, we're not seeing them jumping up and down on chairs and happiness. Um, But there was a sense that at the beginning of September, phone calls were quite quiet, and we've kind of seen perhaps slightly, like, sort of, more kind of phone calls coming in towards the end of um, end of September. Um, I've actually got Ed here, and um, 
I know that Ed actually he was quoted in an FT article at the beginning of September saying that he was quite concerned about um, sort of the next coming months and uh, he was quite bearish. Um, ha- has that changed now that we've seen the end of the month? Well, it has a bit, I have to say. I mean, whether I quite come into the less bearish or more optimistic camp is difficult to say. Um, but I think you need to set the, the context for the year. Bear in mind, it's been a very odd year for the property market because traditionally the spring market's good. That was ruined by the election. The summer market was really ruined by the budget. Mm-hmm. So it's been a very odd year. Uh, there are an awful lot of people who've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think perhaps the waiting might just be coming to an end. We are seeing some activity, but it's very low levels. As I said to you, Tanya, a little bit earlier, um, I'm more worried about volumes than I am about values. I think the volumes in the market are very, very low and give a real cause for concern. Have we seen a volumes increase like, since August? Or I mean, what, what what's the comparison from last month and the year well, before? Well, I mean, the trouble, what's happening at the moment is, um, I mean, my company, Douglas & Gordon, we have a lot of offices in London, so we give a pretty good snapshot of what's happening in London. We've got about 30% more property than we had in August and about 20% fewer buyers. Mm-hmm. So the problem is it's the buyers who are finding life a little bit um, tough and they're, they're not around in any great numbers. Added to which, of course, you tend to get a lot of foreigners in London looking yep. and they really have vanished. Um, but the supply increase hasn't been as bad as we feared. So perhaps the outlook for values isn't as bad as we might have feared. The problem is that the buyers are disappearing and that's where volumes are suffering. Is there still a sense that um, the sellers that are there aren't actually really sort of pricing very realistically at the moment? Well, the issue with volumes has created an issue with the estate agents that means that there are an awful lot of agents that are going to go out of business. Mm-hmm. I mean, volumes are now less than a third of what they were 10 years ago really? and about half what they were three years ago. Yeah. Now, three years ago, you didn't see a lot of agents close, but you went them going. You, you, you saw them going from five fully-fledged salespeople to sort of one man and a dog, mm-hmm. and they've hung on and hung on and hung on, and a lot of these people are now going to be closing their doors because volumes are so low. So those that are there are fighting for business, which means they're, I'm afraid, overvaluing a lot of the stock that's there, giving sellers unrealistic expectations of what, they are, of, of what they've got. And that's creating real issues because, of course, you then get an overhang of supply which sits there and sits there and sits there, and these people mm-hmm. look as if they're beginning to get realistic about the prices. They're beginning to come down a little the asking prices. Ed, you said estate agents fighting for stock. Presumably that means you're reducing your prices as well rather than letting the dog go. Well, when you say reducing our prices, do you mean reducing our your fees? Your commission, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely become an issue. I mean, fees yeah. are, are an obvious part. You know, it's a free market. People can, can shop around. The issue's been, though, Steve, that a lot of people who've perhaps employed the wrong agent at the lowest fee at a silly price are now realising what they need is a proper agent and they're prepared to pay to get the job done. Now, that's not completely true. They're not paying the same rates as they were a few years back. And so it is what still might people be paying in London now, then? Well, I mean, traditionally, in the very centre of London, fees used to be between sort of 2 and 2.5% if you wanted to get one agent doing it. I mean, the costs, mm. people scoff, but the costs of running an agency in central London are very much higher than they are outside the centre of London. Those fees can now be definitely negotiated down at 2 and be- 2% and below. If you're in the areas which you were referring to earlier, I think your very own, W14, this sort of area, yep. you can definitely get, you know, low ones, 1.5% is certainly not un- unreasonable. But at the end of the day, you've got to bear in mind that the average prices in central London are five, six hundred thousand pounds. If you're talking about the odd quarter of a percent, you know, do you want to get your house sold by a good agent or do you want someone that's charging you a low fee? You well, know? I don't want to pay tens of thousands of pounds to sell my property. That's what I don't want to do. Who, who does? Unfortunately, we are a necessary part of life. And dare I say, we provide a socially useful service. <laughs> um, so, Ed, to sum it up, I mean, what do you think the outlook for the next few months and, say, the coming year is going to be? Well, I think the fact that the supply overhang isn't as bad as we feared it would be 
And the fact that the the spreads that the banks are now offering on their on their mortgage rates are, are as good as they've ever been. I mean, you've got I don't know, you've got HSBC offering you know a ninety nine percent booking fee and two point one nine percent, and the outlook for for interest rates seems to be that they're going to stay pretty low for quite a long time. Yeah. I think that's tempting a lot of people who are perhaps a little bit nervous about interest rates back into the market sooner. I suspect the run-up to Christmas may be a little better than we feared. Who knows what happens beyond that? Thank you very much. Thank you indeed, uh, Ed. And for an analysis of which parts of the housing market are looking a little bit more resilient than others, you can read Tanya's feature in the FT Money section this weekend or go onto our website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, smartphone apps. This week, Britain's biggest life insurance and pension company, Aviva, launched a new app for the Apple iPhone to make pensions planning simpler and more accessible, or so it said. And it's not the first to put financial planning tools onto a mobile phone. Fidelity has a fund data app, and more than 600 independent financial advisors now offer portfolio monitoring via a smartphone app. But do they really make investing any easier, or are they just a gimmick? Well, to test them out, uh, we put them into the hands of our most and least tech-savvy journalists, who just happen to be, respectively, Tanya and Steve. Um, Tanya, if I start with you, um, you've tested a whole load of these apps this week. Um, Tell us about the the best and the worst. I think um, it does vary quite a bit. I mean... (laughs) In terms of how useful some of these apps are, I mean, there's still a long way to go, I think. I think this is kind of the start of kind of the smartphone apps and what they can provide users, especially in terms of managing their personal finances. I did particularly like this app from True Potential, which is an IFA services provider. And, they, and like you said, they've got about 650 IFA firms signed up to them, which is about 650,000 private clients. And um, this app actually does let you monitor your portfolio online well through your phone and you can see kind of up to date sort of valuations and it just kind of gives quite a quick kind of overview of how much you're you know how much you're worth at the moment and I think that's quite nice because I don't know of any other apps that actually kind of give you that kind of instant knowledge of your um of your um, portfolio and it also has this kind of messaging system where you can send messages straight to your IFA of this kind of encrypted platform um, which is kind of it's just kind of this nice element of easiness and quickness and you know, if you just got a quick query on what on a certain fund or some investment you can just sort of snap it over to them quite quickly um, I think take up of that is going to be it will take quite a while I'm, I'm not sure how high percentage of actually the um, clients are actually using this that so far but I think as more and more IFA firms realise this is something quite beneficial um, I think we're going to see a lot more like people using it and it's going to become a lot more mainstream really And what about the, um, the, the sort of property and mortgage sector uh, property finding apps have been out there for a while yeah. what about mortgage finder apps is, uh, are there such a thing? Um, no we've got a couple of um, mortgage brokers that have launched a um, certain apps that kind of give mortgage calculators and tools like that so you can kind of find out um, instantly, like how much you can borrow or how much your kind of monthly payments are going to be, um, which I think is probably quite useful um, if you're sort of going around looking at properties and you kind of want to um, perhaps it's slightly more expensive than you were initially, you know, thinking that you'd go for, um, just to find out whether you could afford it or not. So they're quite cool. I mean, London Country has one that they launched a couple of months ago, I think, and um, they've also got a kind of list of the best buy mortgages as well, so you can kind of see a like, list of current rates and stuff. But um, obviously, you still have to go to them to sort of seek advice and stuff like that so they're quite useful just kind of you know to play around and see what exactly you can you can borrow now steve you're, you're not an iphone user and i don't wish to preempt your testing because i know that you're 
about to about to embark upon this. Um, but uh, how do you feel about these uh, these apps? Uh, do you reckon that they have any value? Well, Matthew, I mean, won't surprise you to hear that I'm not entirely convinced. Um, at the moment, as you rightly say, I'm still struggling to get into the iPhone. So um, <laughs> I'm hoping Tanya will find the on and off button for me shortly after um, our, our conversation. Um, but I would raise some issues. I mean, um, one, I, I I wonder, I mean, we've got Ed here. Um, if I was buying a property, I, w- I'm, I would serious about a particular area. I would probably register with the local agents really get to know them, find out who were the really top agents there because they're always first rank, second rank, and if you like, complete chances. Um, And then I'd rely on them and I'd rely on websites as well. I'm not sure I'd really be wandering around the streets suddenly going, oh, there's a property, I wonder how much that is and so on. I would expect a good agent to be giving me that information and or register with one of these websites where presumably you can get email alerts and so on. Similarly, with my mortgage as well, I'm not sure, you know, I'd like to think I actually knew what my budget was before I wandered round. But a wider point, I mean, I don't think the banking industry is there yet on transactions with apps, I'm told. Um, But I do wonder when it does get there, if you like, will there be issues with security, uh, connectivity? Um, You know, these are wireless applications, aren't they? And people will know that their mobile phone doesn't always even work in London. And... I wonder as well whether we're going to see a sort of um, a renewed Betamax VHS debate. Remember that, where you get the wrong technology. So, so if Tanya convinces me over our cheese sandwich lunch today to get one of these iPhone things, how do I know by Christmas I'm going to be have been sold a pup, the oldest technology, and I should be getting one of these, whatever you've got, a BlackBerry or something. And, and I understand <laughs> yes. they have apps as well. They do. So yes. how do I know which apps are best? And how do I know which technology is going to be cutting edge? Um, so so I think I'm, I'm tempted to wait and see. And the final point I would say is... Remember WAP banking. You and me remember that because we're old enough. Tanya's so young and sort of still got that curiosity of youth about her. But WAP banking, of course, was mobile phone banking. It didn't work. That's because the technology uh, wasn't there to, to support it. And you'd know why. Exactly. Well, but well, we, but we, have, we have actually seen quite an increase in... There was research this week which showed that apparently 3 million Britons are already using mobile phone banking hmm. um, on Well, maybe the technology does work now. I think, I think, and they're saying that actually oh. um, mobile banking um, users via their smartphone are actually uh, accessing their accounts far more frequently than people who use internet banking. Well, let's 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 see if it turns into three million and one later <laughs> later today. And if you'd like to know how Steve gets on with his testing of uh, the iPhone apps, and if you'd like to read Tanya's reviews of them as well, you can uh, in uh, the money section of this weekend's FT. So yes, I look forward to that <laughs> in particular. Uh, but that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you will find weekday news updates and all of today's stories on our website ft.com forward slash money and if you have a question that you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances just email us and we'll try and get a a financial guru to address your question send your questions into the email address money at ft.com next week we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from tanya steve and ed mead from estate agents douglas and gordon goodbye goodbye Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.